Kairos Milwaukee United Church of Christ presents Made by Love to Be Love, a reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, October 18th, 2020. Barack Obama once referred to the days and weeks that we are that we are living through right now, the days and weeks that lead up to an election in America, as the silly season. The season when candidates and their surrogates are all working at least as hard to stir up emotions as to inform. For many of us, this particular election season is feeling quite different from others, less silly than fraught and rather frightening. Even through the incendiary language and the appalling dishonesty, we can see some familiar patterns. One of them is the calculations people make not just about who to support, but who to align themselves with, not because of shared ideas or shared goals, but because of a shared opponent, on the theory that the enemy of my enemy is my friend, because there is nothing quite so unifying as having a common opponent. It's a tale as old as humanity. Here, in the passage that we've just heard, we see it play out between the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Pharisees are, of course, leaders of the Jewish community who opposed the rule of Rome, even as they found ways to accommodate the empire so that they could both protect the people and wield power in Jerusalem. The Herodians, on the other hand, were a political group who supported Herod and his whole royal family the royal family that was loyal to Rome and served at the emperor's good pleasure. What on earth could would possess these two groups to make common cause? Well, their common distaste for Jesus, their common anxiety about what exactly he was up to. To the Pharisees, he was an upstart, pretender to religious authority though neither born into a priestly family nor educated as a leader. To the Herodians, he was a rebel, a troublemaker, stirring up the peasantry, scoffing at the deity of Caesar. Pharisees and Herodians may not have much use for each other most of the time, but now, now it was just days before the start of Passover, when tensions in Jerusalem were always high. And Jesus had been teaching on the temple grounds, dissing both of them for days, and they'd had just about enough of him. So the two groups joined forces and employed another time-tested political trick, fake respect and insincere flattery. Teacher, they said, giving him a title they didn't for a moment think he deserved. Teacher, we know that you are sincere. They know this because they are not. We know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, though they very much wished that he would show them deference. Tell us, they asked, what do you think? And they set him an ensnaring question. 
Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Kind of a gotcha question. Now, a note about money in the ancient world. When coins were first used in about the 7th century BC, each, each coin was a simple weight of silver marked with the symbol of its place of origin, which would prove that it was in fact one weight. Later, local rulers would put their heads on the coins as a sign of this fidelity. I made these coins and I am certifying that each one is in fact the proper weight. Once the head was on the coin, this developed into a form of propaganda and a way to consolidate power and to control people. In Jesus's time, Roman coinage was used throughout the empire and Caesar's face was stamped on every denarius. Every time goods and services exchanged hands, it was as if Caesar was there saying, this is mine. Every year when the census tax was taken, Caesar was there too proclaiming, this is mine. You are mine unless you pay. The people of the region loathed it. Currency with a human face on it was the stuff of idolatry. To add to the offense, in addition to Caesar's face, each coin also bore an inscription. Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of divine Augustus. The use of this money was a constant reminder of Rome's power. And every time the yearly census tax came around and one denarius had to be paid, it was paid in money that contained a bite-sized bit of blasphemy about the divine Augustus and his son, the son of God. Is it lawful, the Pharisees and Herodians asked, to pay taxes to Caesar? Seems like a rather perfect way to trap Jesus. If he agrees that the payment of Caesar's yearly tax is lawful, then he will become immediately suspicious with the crowds of ordinary folk who are following him. They too feel that Caesar's face is everywhere, oppressing their livelihood. This yearly tax was a deep burden on them. This tribute system, the annual payment, this portion of their livelihood was given in return for protection and the right to live. It's a big ask. If Jesus were to consent to that system, his followers might feel betrayed by one more religious leader unable to stand up to Rome. One more religious leader willing to collude to maintain the status quo. On the other hand, if Jesus decided that it was unlawful to pay the tax, that would cement the Herodians' opinion that he was dangerously revolutionary. That he was gathering followers who might just act to overthrow Rome. Either way, the unlikely partners, the Pharisees and the Herodians, believed that they had caught him out. Jesus, however, was on to their malice. Why are you putting me to the test, he asked. Show me that coin you use for the tax. Without a moment's hesitation, they brought him a denarius. 
By asking for the coin, Jesus showed two things. One, that he didn't have one, and that the religious leaders opposing him did. And their casual production of it within the temple itself is an unwitting, vivid confession. The coin, this tangible emblem of Rome and its taxes and its divine em emperor, brought blasphemy and idolatry right into the temple. Think of it this way. Jesus is the one who had just days before driven the money changers from the temple, sending their blasphemous coins all across the temple floor. And these religious and civic leaders, they have them in their pockets. What image is on that coin? The emperors, they respond. And then comes Jesus, Jesus's unexpected answer. Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's. Give to God the things that are God's. It is an answer that is both mild and shrewd. Now, over the years, many people have interpreted this to mean that God's interests have nothing to do with money or taxes or government at all. But really, he's focused on the spiritual realm. Sure, pay taxes to the emperor, the oppressor of our people. It seems like a disappointing response. But it's only disappointing if you don't know who Jesus is. Because hidden in that superficial answer is a deeper one. Give to the emperor his due and give God what is due to God. Give the emperor the things that bear his image and give to God the things that bear God's image. What are those things of God? What is it that bears the image of God? The whole witness of scripture and Jesus's ministry answers, all of creation is God-breathed. Everything is in fact spiritual. And human beings are made in the image of God. Every one of us. Our whole lives, therefore, should be given to God. Our lives should be lived in participation with God's ongoing creation. Our lives should be lived doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly. Our lives can be given to God by a way of life that opposes the commodification of people and their labor. What does it mean to be in the image of God? It means to be always on the side of love. The word love can get us in trouble because it means a lot of different things and we associate it often with sentimental feelings, tender feelings, true and good feelings, but there's more. The Greek world uses four words to capture all the different things that love is. The love that we are made in the image of is not just the bonded, empathetic love of family members, bonded to each other through nature and familiarity and the ties of daily life. It is not just the love of friends who have chosen each other because of a commonality in their spirits and their values. It is not primarily 
the eros of romantic love. All of those loves are good, but none of them will last without the creative, self-giving love that the New Testament calls agape. This kind of love begins less in emotion or feeling or sentiment than in decision. It's a decision we make every day. Every day we get up and we can seek to live in a way that seeks the most good for the most people, including ourselves. A life devoted to love will make no distinction between the financial, the political, and religious life. It will see no boundary between the physical and the spiritual. Everything is spiritual because everything is an opportunity to love. Self-giving giving can sound like a frightening word, especially to anyone that has been in a one-down position, either by social or financial location or through unhealthy relationships. The great good news encoded in the idea of agape is that everyone of every location, no matter how fractured their past relationships, is a self, has a self, and has agency. Everyone starts out as already beloved. The more we choose to love, the stronger the self becomes, the less defended we need to be. When Jesus said you must lose your life to save it, I think this is at least a part of what he meant. When we are rooted and grounded in God's love, we don't have to worry about giving too much away because there is no end to what we receive. God's spirit is always with us. Sometimes we need to take a break from our lives. We need to sit back. We need to step out of the flow and reground ourselves in that love. But it's always there. It is always for us. Encoded in that one enigmatic answer, sure, give the emperor the things that are the emperor's. Jesus is also reminding his followers to give to God what is God's. During this fraught and frightening political season, when the voices of anger and accusation are loud, no matter who your preferred candidates are in any race, they will not be perfect. The political world is neither separate from our spiritual lives, nor is it the place where we will find ultimate meaning. It is one more place where we can act according to love. No matter what the outcome in November, our gospel lesson reminds us who and whose we are. Made in God's image, made by love, out of love, to be love in the world. Amen.